So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And if you can get that sentence done, and, I, and this, is the, this is the main thing we're going to pack, but if you can get that sentence done, you're going to have a healthy marriage. If you can just get that done. So, so, so here's one of the concepts, or the, the bigger pictures when it comes to marriage. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22, and this is, God had said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. And this was what Abraham had been waiting for. This was God's promise. Everything about his life was wrapped up with, with Isaac. And um, he's about to sacrifice him. He's already taken, tied him up. Everything's ready to go, and he's about to sacrifice him. And as he's lifting his hand with the knife in his hand to, to take Isaac's life, um, this is where we come in in verse 12. It says, Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. So here's, here's the question. What are you withholding from the Lord right now? And specifically, that's in a general sense, but specifically when it comes to marriage, what are you withholding right now? What are you holding back? Mentally, emotionally, relationally? What are you holding back when it comes to connection, communication? I've even seen this with when it comes to parent and children, things, you know, the scripture says that we're supposed to, this, I just read where man leaves his mother and his father and is, un, and is united with uh, the woman and they become one, that he leaves mom and dad and cleaves to his spouse. It's a weird thing we've done in Western society where we will put the children over the spouse, Right? I've seen this happen many times even within the concept of divorce. Well, I can't, I can't be with that person anymore, and, and it's best for my children. I'm going to protect my children. Now, I can understand in, in some very small, rare cases where there's abuse and stuff like that. I get that. But let me just help you. Most of the time we use the excuse, I'm protecting my children by leaving this person. You're actually harming your children way more. Okay? What should be done there is try to fix the marriage. Say, well, I've spent years to do that. Well, we're going to walk down through some of this kind of stuff. When you withhold something, I've seen this with parents where, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how simple we just cast a spouse to the curb, but we hold on to the kids. You're not supposed to be cleaving to the kids. You, you cleave to your spouse. Your spouse is the eternal relationship. Your children are going to have that, but it's not with you. It's with a spouse. They're supposed to leave you and cling to, cleave to their spouse. And we will throw spouse to the, to the curb so quickly in today's society. 60% of all marriages end in divorce. That's first-time marriages. It only goes up from that. This, this idea that marriage is not that big of a thing. We're not cleaving to each other. We're not. This is something that Linda and I, really early, before we got married, we had gone to this um, pre-married thing. And I just remember two things. I just remember the, the guy that was teaching, he was a professor at the university. He was very, very boring. And, um, and the other thing that, this is the thing that stuck out to me the most, is we had, Lynn and I went to um, Taco Bell after that. And we were sitting there having deep relational discussions over burritos. And so, but we had this, we had this discussion. We really talked about it a long time. We processed this. We made a, an agreement, a commitment to each other that we would never bring up divorce. It would never come into the conversation. 
And that's a line that we wouldn't cross. And I've had people say this many times to me over the years. Yeah, but you also made your wedding vows and you made this commitment to divorce. What, what keeps you from breaking that? Because we made a commitment to each other. And, and in 32 years of marriage, we've never even discussed uh, divorce. I mean, in a non-joking way. But we don't discuss divorce. It's not an option. Here's what I found. If you, if you go into a room and there's one door in that room and, and to, to, to process relationship, discussion, disagreement, argument, whatever, you will argue and fight differently if there's only one door. But if any moment you can turn around and exit out a, a back door, you will see that entire dynamic different. You'll see your relationships different. You'll see discussion. You'll see everything different if you know you have a back door. But if there is no back door and you know you're in this thing forever, then you interact differently. You process differently. You discuss differently. You argue differently. There will be some lines you just won't cross. And for Linda and I, we have never, ever crossed the line of divorce. And there are some times when we could have very easily. You know, it's on your lips. And you realize that's, we, you can't. See, this is the thing. Once you start talking about divorce, do you realize psychologically that the dynamic has changed? You, you, can't, you can't come back from that. It doesn't mean you divorce just because you talk about it. But you can't come back from that conversation. It changes it. Everything is different. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yara, or the, we, you know, the, the Greek or the English tran, translation of the Greek is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. You realize this is God saying to us through Abraham, but also saying to Abraham, if you will not withhold anything from me, I will always provide for you. When you start withholding, those are the areas where you slice off and God doesn't provide in that area because you have chosen for him not to. God, I give you everything. Okay, I'll provide here. But I can't give you this. I can't provide for you there. And we do this with marriage. God, I give you my work. I give you all this. But I, I've got my marriage. And I think the reason oftentimes we're scared or resistant to truly hand our marriage over to God is because we're afraid that God will actually take control of it. And then what he, what he might do is actually look at us and say, maybe you're the problem. I've never, in, in, in all the years of counseling, I've never had a couple come to me where they're saying, well, he did this, she did this, arguing, and then, and then one of them says, you know what, our marriage is really messed up, and I'm the problem. Because if they would start there, they don't have to come to me. They already figured it out. This, this is, you know, interestingly, I have had pre-married couples say that. We're going through a difficult time, and I feel like I need to do something different. I'm like, give it six months. You won't feel that way anymore. Because I'm a good counselor. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And here's, here's one of the concepts for what marriage exists for. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. One of the reasons you get married is to have children. You know that? 
You say, well, you can have children without being married. Yep, and it causes a lot of problems. It causes a lot of problems on a lot of different levels. Things that people never totally get over or, or pass by sometimes. You deal with this stuff. They're, because it's a spiritual thing first. Specifically, if you have knowledge of God and you have knowledge of marriage and you have knowledge of this thing, but you just uh, insistently choose to say, no, we're going to do it our way. That, that, guys, that's a dangerous road under any circumstances. That, that kind of rebellion, that kind of I'm going to do this my way, I don't care what God thinks, that's dangerous on every level. But when you, when you do this at the very core, uh, things that are a part of life, which is God and marriage, those are the two biggest. Those are the two starters in Scripture. That's what Genesis started with. God, marriage. When you, when you rebel within that context, it, 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 the Scripture talks about that these curses go generationally. We've got to stop playing around with stuff like this and think that it's just not going to matter. Same thing with our sexuality. We play around with this stuff and we think it doesn't matter. It does matter. It will always matter. There's not a, there's not a neutral time where well, I can sin and do all this and, and, and it's not going to affect me. It will always affect you. Even, even having been forgiven by Jesus. You still have things. I, so many times I've visited prisons and jails, and, and everybody gets saved in jail, right? And, and then they'll, they'll say to me, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had this question. They, they get saved, give their heart to the Lord. I'm not questioning whether that's a legitimate decision. That's their decision. Then they say, okay, now let's pray that God will get me out of here. You're confusing Jesus' grace with earthly judgment and justice. You, you're going to serve your term. Now, I've seen where God gets people out of jail, and I, I don't even agree with God sometimes on that. But, it, but, it's, but we, we think because Jesus gives us grace, it just fixes all the things. You know, there's still stuff that you've done in your life where Jesus will do that stuff, but there has to be very intentional direction from you and from the Lord for those things. Very specific. He says, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And verse 18, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. When you obey God, God blesses through you. First he blesses you, then he blesses through you. Sometimes that's actively where you are verbally saying or doing something. You're specifically trying to minister or connect with people and the Lord will bless you. Bless them. But sometimes it's passive. The Lord is, you are obeying the Lord. You're not seeing a, uh, what you would see as a blessing, except that your life is just different. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. When you really surrender to God and you obey God, your life is different. You live a better life than people that are not obeying God. And you say, well, they have more money, because that's what David said, right? Well, you're blessing them. You're doing but, but I'm saying in your life and how your life looks, it's different. And then people are blessed passively just because they see what God is doing in your life. They see what the, the, the differences is, and they learn from this. People learn from you, even if you're not knowing that they're doing it or even actively uh, engaging them. People learn from your life when you are obeying God. 
They learn. You are you are an illustration to them. As as we just read in Ephesians, you are this uh, illustration of the way that Christ wants to interact with us. Now, when you bring this to marriage, a lot of things when you won't withhold anything from God and you truly obey Him, God blesses your marriage. Okay. Then he also blesses people through your marriage, actively because you engage people, but then also passively because they just see this marriage. There's some basic, simple things that, this is one of the things of just talking to so many people over the years. If you're just at each other all the time, don't you want to do anything to change that? Do you want to spend your whole life just at each other? Wouldn't it be better to just, Enjoy that person? You say, well, we used to be at each other, but we're not now because we've been married 15 years or whatever. It's interesting that oftentimes what's going on is you're still the same person. You're still thinking of all this kind of stuff, but you've just learned to keep your mouth shut, which is a huge step forward, but you don't have a better marriage. You're just cohabitating. You're just living in the same house. You're not getting along. You're just not at each other. I've seen that so many times over the years. There was an old country song, and I, I, I remember this. I think I was a teenager when it came out. I can't remember, but I know as a young married man, I heard this song. And, uh, and I think it was Dolly Parton singing it. She was talking about that she wants to grow old sitting on the porch, rocking in her rocking chair with her man. Which is interesting because Dolly Parton had an open marriage. But either way. I, I always thought about this, that I, I really, I, I really, I don't want to be married to Linda for 32 years and not like it when she walks in the door. Why? I don't mean like one day. I mean, that happens sometimes. But I'm saying in a general sense, I want to enjoy, I want to be friends. I want to grow old together being friends together. Why would, you, why would you not want that? Why would you want to just be at each other? That doesn't t- I just don't get that. It doesn't make sense. I just realized the other day, and I don't know, I don't know if it's just me or maybe I'll let her disagree or agree with this. It, I think Lynn and I hold hands more now than we ever have. She doesn't care. So <laughs> that's what she did. She said, well, that I'm hurt. But I, I, I want that. I want to be close. I want to grow. You know, that's a choice. That's not just something that happens. That doesn't just come with tenure. I, I have seen, and I'm sure you have too, people that have been married 50 years and they hate each other. I don't understand that. Why? Now, the option isn't just bail. The option is figure out how to make it that. Figure out what to do about this because you're going to be a blessing to others. Here's some ways that you're a blessing in just a very simple sense. One is, the very first one is you're a blessing to your children when they see a healthy marriage. It doesn't mean their marriage is going to turn out exactly like that. They, they, they may not model their marriage after your marriage, but they will use the elements of it. They will know the goods and the bad. They will, you can't watch a marriage for the entire time a child grows up and not know the goods and bads of that particular marriage. And they'll, they, they have the opportunity to, to, to learn from the bads and use those good elements to have a healthy marriage. 
But if all they saw was negative, if all they saw was the fighting, if all they saw was, was no trust and all this other stuff and everything was, was a problem here, well, then what happens is, is they, ha- they don't have the good to balance that with. They only have the negative, and now they have nothing to start this marriage with. That this, is, this is one of the, the basic things of family life, is you're teaching your children what it's supposed to look like. Not because you always get it right, but because you are striving for it to look that way. You're striving for that health. And that is a blessing. It's a blessing to friends and family. It's a blessing to coworkers. When you're not the person coming in every week complaining about the old ball and chain, that you actually enjoy being married, that you actually enjoy talking about your spouse. I, I know I, I joke uh, about our, Lynn and I and our marriage and things. And some of you guys take it way too serious. And I'm going to say this very directly. That's actually your problem. It's not mine. But here's the deal with that. I understand that I don't, I don't dislike my wife. And I understand the essence of her being my spouse. I know that. I, I wouldn't trade her for anything. She is the most important person in my life. She's the most important thing. There's, not even, there's nothing more important to her except God in my life. And why, why not invest in that rather than invest in all the other stuff? We can spend so much time doing other things at work and relationships and everything, and we leave our spouses to the side. Invest in your spouse. Invest in, in, in the relationship. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is a love chapter. I'm just going to take a few verses out because this should be a kind of a litmus test for our, This really is a litmus test for all relationships, Right? But it's also specifically should start with, I believe, our marriage and then start with our family after that. But verse 4, love is patient and kind. Now, there's no way you're getting all this stuff right, so let the Holy Spirit convict you on the things that need to change. And I'm not just go, saying just go, yeah, oh, yeah, I should. I mean, really, when, when, when as we're reading through this, say, Lord, help me with this. Give me a plan to, to figure this out. Let me work with this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. All, all the different things that, that try to work their way. And you realize that some of these won't ever really have gained traction with you, but some of them will. And the ones that are gaining traction with you may not be gaining traction with your spouse. You, you understand you're not dealing with the same issues as a married couple, this is one of the problems that marriages have is that the, your uh, shortcomings and the areas that you're weak are not the areas that your spouse is weak. And so the areas that your spouse is weak, you're not. And if you're not careful, you look at their weak areas. And because it's not your weak areas, you can be vo- boastful or proud of those situations. But you both have weaknesses. You both need to work on things. There is no perfect person. There is no perfect marriage. And so what you do is you have to be working on Who? You. Not your spouse. God didn't call you to fix your spouse. He called you to fix you. Love doesn't demand its own way. I'm pretty sure this is why you can't decide which restaurant to go to. Because you just want to submit to the other person. I saw a video one time of this guy 
It was taken from the message in a bottle, I think. And he's just sitting there going, what do you want? What do you want? And then they put in there, where do you want to eat? Just tell me where you want. I, man, that hurts. <laughs> Love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of being wronged. Now, do not look at your spouse as I say this. When you argue, do you bring up stuff from the past? You say, yeah, but. No, 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 no. According to this, you're not really loving them the way you're supposed to. The problem is not them. The problem is you. If you're remembering stuff from the past, you're wrong. Guys, until... Why, why, why would there 100% amen at that moment? You, this is a big one, guys. We know because it is when we've been hurt by something. I'm not saying you, it wasn't legitimate and you weren't really hurt. What I'm saying is somewhere along the way, love says, I'm going to forgive you. That's what Jesus did, right? Jesus forgives and he forgets. He buries it in the bottom of the sea, never to be remembered again. He pushes it as far as the east is from the west. And we can't even push it more than a week and a half. And we're back at it. I've had so many couples over the years sit and talk about, and the discussion eventually comes to, well, 20 years ago they said this. When, when do we actually try to act like Jesus instead of acting like Satan? What's, what's part of Satan's job description? The accuser of the brethren. When you're accusing, you're acting like Satan. You're not acting like Jesus who forgives and forgets. I know this is challenging stuff. Guys, this is, this is, why, this is why almost 60% of marriages end in divorce. Because we can't really put the other person first. Well, you said, you did. We've got to put them first. It does not rejoice about injustice. When you win a fight, oh, I, I won. I've, I've won some major arguments with Lynn and I over the years that I knew I was totally wrong about. But I'm a better arguer. <laughs> right? It's amazing what we'll do. And we'll... We'll stand to the, you know, this is the thing, because this happens to me, it's got to have happened to you. Somewhere in the discussion, you realize you're wrong. Do you go, wait, 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 pause, pause, pause. I just realized I'm wrong. And I would like to apologize for everything I've said. Because you know what? I am truly wrong. That doesn't happen. Not when, it's a, not when it's a legitimate argument. Yeah, it might be like when you're trying to do something little or something. But guys, when, when, do, when do we really re, we, we stop rejoicing over being right? And, and not rejoicing over injustice, but rejoices when truth wins out. Love never gives up. Never gives up on your spouse. Never going to... Give you up, and we're going to let you down. We're going to turn around. 
or desert you. Love never loses faith. Lose faith in God and loses faith in your spouse. You gotta, you gotta, you can get through the difficult things. I had a great testimony said to me after first service of a couple that is late in age, been married well over 50 years, and, uh, and she was talking to me about a time. She said, I'd been married about 12 years, and God asked me, because she was upset. She said, God asked me, are you willing to love him the way I told you to, or do you want to go the path you want to go? And she said, I had to, I had to think this through. Been, been married over 50 years now. She chose correctly. She took the correct pill. You know, it's, it's amazing how easily we can just give up. Here's something. This one needs to get in your head. If you think, well, I don't love this person anymore, so I'm going to choose somebody else. If you can't commit to loving them, what makes you think you can commit to loving somebody else? That's why the, the, the divorce rate in second marriages is higher than first marriages. And by the time you get to third marriages, the, the divorce rate is in the 70 percentile. Because somewhere along the line, you didn't deal with you. I had an administrative assistant uh, years ago. It was actually her daughter. That um, She was sitting in her office, and I just walked through. I was, I was early 20s at this time. I, I said things I shouldn't say, not like today. And, um, <clears throat> and I walked in the office, and she's complaining to her mom. Um, she's leaving her husband, and it was her fourth marriage. She said, I cannot do anymore. I am just tired of men. And I stopped there for a second, and I said, this is your fourth marriage, right? She said, yeah. I said, did you ever think maybe that the problem is you and that maybe men are tired of you? <laughs> yeah, it didn't go well. <laughs> you would have think she would have just said, you know what? I didn't think about this. Thank you, Scott, for that deep insight. Lever never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Your, your marriage vow says this stuff. Through better or worse, sickness and in health, till death do us part. We say this stuff, but we don't really think about what we're saying sometimes. But this, is, this is forever. And God, God wants it to be Forever. He, he, wants, he wants you to say, okay, God, I'm going to let you be in charge of this. Now, I've, I've, I've dealt with this on a lot of different levels where people are saying, okay, well, we're, I've already been divorced and remarried. What do I do? Make this forever. Start where you are. Don't, don't try to go backwards and, and, and beat yourself up with that. But some of this is don't also pass by the opportunities that God is trying to use that to teach you some things and develop you and grow you. Okay? Let the Holy Spirit change you. Let the Holy Spirit do some stuff. Hollywood versus biblical marriage. Hollywood has a horrible understanding, so therefore society does, because society seems to go the way Hollywood does, of what marriage is. If you'll pay attention to this, almost every movie that you see about relationships is all about the dating, and then the movie's over when they get married at the end. How goofy is that? The dating is, is the nothing. The dating's not the relationship. You weren't even being honest during that time frame. 
Do you really think you really think it's all cards and hearts and letters and stuff like that when you're dating? That's gonna that's gonna be forever. That's what I mean. Like it should. I get maybe it should. But you're you're getting. That's why I've told many couples this. If you're really struggling with some major things and you're still dating, you should pay attention because that's the best it gets. Until they get some years under their belt and they really start figuring out what maturity and relationship is, and it takes a while to do that, you're getting the very best right now. I'm saying dating. But, but Hollywood has this idea that the dating is the thing. And most of that's just, and, and specifically from Hollywood's point of view, it's all about sex. Sex starts and then you start building a relationship. I don't understand that concept. That is, that is so bizarre thinking to me. Back in my day, you actually had to work at it. And sex wasn't a given. I feel like I'm going too far there. But, but this is, I don't understand. Relationships start with sex now, and then you try to build a relationship. Well, let me help you out. You've already deeply damaged that relationship. If you don't do this in Christ the way he designed it, you've already damaged that relationship. It can be fixed. It can be put together in Christ. But you've damaged it. But if you do it the way God says, it's amazing how God can can build something there. Start with God being in charge of this. Hollywood says the reason you get married, and this is, I ask couples, why do you get married? All the same, if I went around this room, Unless you really are thinking hard to try to come up with the answer that you think I want to hear, the answers will be. Um, I love them. Can't live without them. I want to spend the rest of my life with them. I want to um, give them things. They're my best friend, all those other things. You know, interestingly, all those statements are all about you. None of them are actually about the other person. They're about you. Now, that's not horrible. I would hope you would say I love them. But here's here's what Paul says. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 21. Most marriage stuff starts with verse 22, and they jump in to wives this. But let's back up to verse 21, because the entire book of Ephesians is about relationships, all kinds of different relationships. And then in Ephesians 5, it gets to children and then gets to marriage. And this is what he says in verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know how many husbands over the years I've heard say, well, isn't she supposed to submit to me? Sure. And you're supposed to submit to her. You don't hear that. Slow your roll. <laughs> you, you, don't, you just don't hear that very often. Husbands, you're supposed to submit to your wife, and she's supposed to submit to you. And you're supposed to both do this because you revere Christ. Who did what? He submitted to the plan. Now, he was part of the plan, but he submitted to the plan to come to this earth to die for you so he could give you everything that pertains to life and godliness. And we're supposed to submit to our spouse. Both of you are supposed to submit to each other. Then he says, for wives, he's going to define that statement for both husbands and wives. And for wives, this means, what this? That statement, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
This is, this is just one of those things. We, we still do that. I just read this this week, that the Southern Baptist Convention voted to, to keep in their uh, theological statements, to ratify this theological statement, that women cannot be in senior positions of ministry leadership. Now, some of you be like, well, I don't think women should be. Okay, but that's your choice. That's not Scripture. The Southern Baptist is not looking at Scripture here. And here's, this is what they always use, that, wives, that uh, women cannot teach men. Okay, but this says submit to one another. You know, some of the best theological teaching I've ever gotten in my life is from my wife. Some of the best spiritual teaching I've ever gotten in my life is from my wife. Because why? I'm submitting to her. She's submitting to me. We're working out our own salvation as one in Christ to do this together. The idea that somehow a woman can't speak into another man's life, you totally misunderstand that scripture and what Jesus is saying there. Guys, get off your high horse and realize that women are actually much more spiritually attuned than you are. That's what I talked about last week. Women get it oftentimes better than men do. The, the, the saving grace for men is they hold on to it better once they figured it out. But this idea that somehow women can't bring something into a man's life spiritually, come on. Why, why are you married then? You're not one. What are you, like seven-eighths and she's an eighth? Or are you one together? I could spend a while on that. It says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. This is, Linda told me this. I was like 25 and she said, you need to preach on submission to our church. I didn't preach all, I was a youth pastor. I didn't preach all the time, but I was, it was coming up and she said, you need to preach on submission. I said, you need to stop getting me killed. How about that? And she said, no, this is, and, and we began to talk about this, spent a lot of time talking about this. She said, when I submit to you, and it's the way I'm submitting to you as, you're the, as, the, as Christ is the head of the church, I'm submitting to you as I submit to Christ, it's because I'm putting my life in your hands. I, I don't have to worry about this stuff. You're, you're going to take care of me. You're going to provide. You're going to give the things that I need in life, and you're going to help me there emotionally, relationally, and everything. If, if we think this means you submit to some domineering guy that's going to be in charge of you, you've missed the whole point. Now, here's the reality is that does mean sometimes you are submitting to a guy that's a jerk. There's nothing you can do about that. But that's where theologically and relationally and spiritually, that's what you're doing. You're saying, okay, I'm going to submit. Because why? I'm submitting to Christ. That's the concept. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So husband being the head of the wife. This is, this is part of the deal with it is you can't have nothing. I had a pastor years ago that, says, that would say um, anything with uh, two heads is a monster. Somewhere you do have to have the, the final whatever. Um, be careful when you think that's the point of it. The husband is actually responsible for more than the wife is. I usually unpack that a lot. I won't do that now. It's, it, it would take all day for us to process that. This is what he says. For husbands, 
This means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her, the church, to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. So here's the thing. Either Jesus is schizophrenic or he's a liar. He's presenting us to himself as perfect and holy, without blemish, no problems, without fault. But see, here's the reason he can do this. Because his blood makes it so. His blood is what makes me without fault. Not me. His blood makes me without fault. He covers me and he forgives me. And then he presents me to himself. Not because he's crazy, but because he's seeing us through his blood. And his blood has made us whole. His blood has made us holy. His blood has made us without fault. I am a fault person. I'm a broken, blemished person. I've got plenty of spots and wrinkles. But when he covers me with his blood, he makes me opposite of all those things. And then he presents me to himself. And he says he's going to present us to God the Father this way as his bride. Without any spot or wrinkle. And, And husbands, that's how he says you love your wife. You present her to yourself as perfect. You say, but she's not. That's because you're choosing to not present her to yourself that way. You're choosing that. The, the reality for us is I have to... See, this is something that always gets missing. He says, husbands, love your wives. You realize that these were marriages that were arranged marriages. They didn't know their wife most of the time before they married them. You know that's where the veil comes in? That's why women used to wear veils. I don't see too many veils nowadays. But that's why women used to wear veils because the first time you saw her was when you lifted the veil up. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'd be like, Because you didn't choose her. Our pastor of our church in India, their marriage was arranged. He did not know her before he married her. Did you realize that most marriages around the world right now are still arranged marriages? It's only in Western countries predominantly that these marriages are not arranged. Even if they do know them ahead of time, their marriages are still arranged. And this is even in the church world. our, Our pastor in India... He's a Christian. His wife was a Christian. They still arrange the marriage. The only difference is he didn't pay the dowry because he's a Christian. They still pay dowries. Like oxen and goats and stuff. Guys, when, when God said to you as a husband, love your wife, it's not because you knew her and felt something emotionally for her. It's because he was telling her, you, you are married to her, now love her. Choose to love her. You can choose to love anything you want to love. This, this stupidity that you hear nowadays, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. That's puke. That is not reality. You love what you choose to love. Well, I can't. I'm just caught up. This is the, this is the whole Hollywood mentality. I'm just caught up in this. And, and, and it's, uh, we're soulmates that have been pulled together. That you love because you choose to love. Do you love your spouse? It's because you've chosen to. Do you fall out of love with your spouse? It's because you've chosen to. And part of that testimony that came to me after first service, she said to me, 
There were major times in my marriage where I did not love my spouse. I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't even want to be around him. She said, but God asked me, are you willing for me to teach you how to love him? I know for young couples it's very difficult, and specifically for pre-married couples, and young ones, they're the worst. And they're sitting there, and I say, you know, sometime in your marriage, you're not going to feel love for that person. And they always look at each other. And what they're saying in their heart is, he doesn't know how deep our love is. Our love is deeper than everybody's, and obviously yours, Pastor. We will never fall out of love. If you base it on a feeling, then yes, you will. But see, I think marriage is more about integrity and commitment than it is about a feeling. Marriage is about you deciding, am I going to love this person? Am I choosing to do this? Years ago, Lynn and I were um, youth pastors. There was this couple in the church. Uh, They weren't a couple at first. They were both... They were in their uh, late 30s, early 40s, and they uh, both had been divorced for many years. And, and everybody in the church knew they were going to get together. It was that kind of thing, right? And so finally they start dating. Everybody's like, oh, you know, and then, and then um, they get married. And our whole staff was involved in the wedding ceremony. It was just, it was one of those things. It was just a cool thing for the whole church. Okay, so but they've been married about three months. He comes into my office, and he says, I don't know if I can stay married to her. What? This is exactly the way he said it. I'm not making this up. He said, I deserve to be treated. I deserve to be treated better than she's treating me. I want to be treated like a knight in shining armor. While I was having that conversation, his wife was over at our house talking to Linda. They didn't know they were both going to come talk to somebody that day. And she said to Linda, I deserve to be treated better. I deserve to be treated like the princess that I am. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh. But guys, this is what you deal with as a pastor. Okay, so so, so here's what what I really, let me restate what I just read out of Ephesians, okay? When, when guys come to me and they say, I just can't stand her anymore. She just, whatever. She's always on me. She's picking, whatever. This is what I always say. Has she um, beaten you with whips lately? Actually, I changed that one. This is not a good society to say that one in nowadays. <laughs> We've gotten a bad place. Let me change that. Has she nailed you to a cross with spikes? Has she shoved a crown of thorns on your head? Has she stabbed you in the side with a spear as she pulled your beard out and spit on you and cursed you. Somewhere along the line, he's going to say no. <laughs> Hopefully very quickly. And I say, then what are you complaining about? Because Jesus said, love her like he loves the church. And the church did all that to him. So this is, this is why we get married. This is the biblical reason, okay? And, and I'm not expecting anybody to start off with this. You grow into this, and you spend the rest of your life trying to figure this out. But you marry guys, you marry her to spend the rest of your life treating her like a princess. 
and doing everything you can to help her to know God and serve God the best she can. That's it. Even if she's the wicked witch of the West, you treat her like she's a princess. And I'm not saying with your actions, I'm saying with your heart. And you do everything you can to help her know God the very best that you possibly can. It's not about you. It's not about you. And what causes problems is when it becomes about you. Women, this is why you get married. Because you're going to treat him like a knight in shining armor. Even if his armor is broken, tarnished, he left it at home. You treat him like a knight in shining armor and you spend every day of your life doing the best you can to help him know God and serve God the best he possibly can. Now guys, I'm, I, know, I know this is, a, is a, an extremely high, almost unreachable bar. I get that. But, but women, the, mo- the moment you make it about you, you're tearing your marriage down. Guys, the moment you make it about you, you're tearing your marriage down. But when you can say, Lord, I didn't create them, you did. Help me submit to them and serve them with my life. When you can do that, you're on the track to a healthy marriage. How can I, how can I, what do they need from me today? What do they need me to be today? And I've had so many people say, well, then they just run over you. Have they put a crown of thorns on your head? Have they nailed you to a cross? Well, then maybe sometimes you get run over. I do. You know that stuff just comes to me. <laughs> Number one, this is, this is how we got to choose it. For guys, she's my princess. Stop right there. Don't qualify it. Or don't try to disqualify it. She's my princess. Ladies, he's my knight in shining armor. Don't try to disqualify it or try to put quali- qualifiers to it. Just, just go there. Just choose to go there. I choose that. I marry them for them, not for me. Yes, you're... I, I know what I'm saying is so countercultural. It's so anti... Our brains don't even operate this way. But you can work toward this. It's the same with our relationship with Christ. We've turned our relationship with Christ in American Christianity. We've turned it into everything about us. About me, about me, about me. God bless me. God give me. God do. And instead of saying, God, I'm your servant. What do you want from me? How can I serve you? How can I worship you? How can I give you me? We do the same thing with our marriages. The second thing, I pray for them every day. God bless them the way you want to bless them. This pray for them is tricky. Because you'll pray for all the things you want about them. Right? I did this years ago. I, saw, I had this list of things I'd pray for Linda every day. This is a long, long time ago. And it was all about she needed to change this. She needed to see me different. She needed to, and it was all about her. I mean, yeah, it was all about her being better. And then one day, God convicted me of that and said uh, to me in my spirit, 
don't you think maybe you need to do something different? I was like, I don't think so. I've kind of assessed that I'm good. If you'll spend 100% of your time praying for you to be a blessing to them and praying that God will just bless them the way that he wants to, it's amazing how quickly they will change. And a lot of times what I found is they didn't actually change. You just changed. The third thing, help me to stop having my own expectations and help me to have Jesus' expectations. Remember what I said a couple weeks ago, unmet expectations are the biggest reason, I believe, for depression, discouragement, all that stuff. This is what I expect from marriage and from her and from everything else. Why don't you stand with me? So if your spouse is in the room, I remember years ago I was a kid in church. It was like in junior high. And the pastor said, stretch out your hands to the one that you love. He meant Jesus. I didn't understand that. And there was this girl sitting over there, and I was like. (laughs) Okay, so if your spouse is with you in the room, grab hands with them. Okay. Guys, we, we, this, is, this is what we need to pray. God, change me. Change me. Just that. Just stop it right there. Just change me. Right? And this is vital whether you're married or not. You know that. Change me. Okay, God, we submit to you. Lord, I, I, I walk around thinking and acting sometimes like I control the whole world. But Jesus, you're the one that's in control. I'm in control of basically nothing. Lord, this is your life. Lord, this is your marriage. Lord, I ask you to bless Linda with your presence, your spirit, your love. Wrap your arms around her, Lord God. Help her to know you, to see you, to draw closer to you every single day. God, and I pray for you to change me. Change my thinking, my attitude. God, help me to look more like 1 Corinthians 13 and less like me. Lord, I commit myself to you. Lord, the way my marriage is going to be healthy is when you do your will in my mind, my heart, my life. In the name of Jesus. God, I pray for every marriage in this room and also every married person in this room. God, I pray for every person in this room that we could submit to you, just just submit to you I submit to you out of reverence for you, Jesus. That every husband in this room would submit to their spouse because they've submitted to you. That every wife in this room would submit to her husband because she submitted to you. That every man in this room would love his wife because you love him. That he'll walk in grace and forgiveness because that's what you've done with him. God, and the same for every woman in this room. 
She will love her husband because you love her. And you've forgiven her. You've washed her clean. And that's how she's going to look at her husband. In the name of Jesus. God, I pray that every one of us in this room would recognize what you did on the cross for us. That you died for us. So Lord, we tell you right now, we belong to you. I give my life, my mind, everything to you. I ask you to forgive me when I have not been pleasing to you, when I have disobeyed you, when I've done my own thing. Wash me clean and make me right with you. Jesus' name. I've been praying, been praying for a couple weeks, a few weeks about this. I was praying this week because I know I'm going to say some strong stuff here. I know this is going to be a little challenging. Um, But I've been praying, God, open our hearts to receive it, to really receive it. And I'm going to be praying this week that you will that you will come into a a a moment where you have to process this, maybe even conflict, and you have to process. And my desire is, and I'll be praying for you is that you say, Lord, change me, fix me. That doesn't sound like the solution, but it is. Lord, fix me. So I'm praying that for you this week. Pray it for me. Pray it for everyone of us here. Lord, fix me. And that we have the opportunity to do that this week. So before noon tomorrow, this is the only week of the year, before noon tomorrow, help me to pray for my spouse, that you'll bless them and pray for me that you'll change me. This is the only week you don't have to witness to somebody. Okay? So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are they're here. And guys, have a great rest of your afternoon.